For LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. People who know me, like know me in real life, know that I recently took kind of a big personal trip. I recently got my passport stamped for the first time for Batch Nation. That uh, <laughs> I took my first, I, I watched the program The Bachelorette for the first time. And as sort of my Sherpa in this endeavor was my colleague, Amy Kaufman, who joins me here today. Slow clap for that Batch Nation reveal right there. Amy, as many people know, is the national best-selling author of the book, Bachelor Nation, Inside the World of America's Favorite Guilty Pleasure. And she also hosts a now famous uh, viewing party for (laughs) The Bachelor and Bachelorette. And so I went over to her house to watch the season premiere of The Bachelorette. It was my first time watching an entire episode. He's the only male there. I was the only guy there. (laughs) My first question, Amy, is there was frequent references to the idea of being here for the right reasons. On the show, you mean? On the show. Yes. And so tell me, what are the right reasons? What does that mean within the parlance of Bachelor World? Well, I mean, I don't actually think the right reasons can really exist in the age of social media, but ostensibly the right reasons are going on the show with the pure intention of finding your soulmate and ending up engaged at the end of it. And the wrong reasons would be to go on to get Instagram followers, to become famous, to advance your career in some way. Those are the not right reasons. Because that was the thing I was most struck by is the sophisticated level of viewership that is required of The Bachelor. That oh, you felt like you couldn't just like hop in? Well, no, that everybody's watching it on like two or more levels at once. That you're sort of like just genuinely watching the show, but you're also very aware of the process of how it's created. Yeah. You have all this sort of like extra textual feelings, and in particular, I think, with this season of The Bachelorette, which is something we can get into. Everybody's watching it on like multiple levels at once. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think, you know, you watched it with my group of friends here who are a lot of journalists and people who are in the entertainment space and sometimes interview people from the show. So they're very knowledgeable about it, but also are savvy as to how production works. So a lot of people have asked me in the course of promoting this book, like, oh, has your opinion of the show changed and the way you watched it changed? I'm like, I don't know, because my friends and I always watch it with like a super skeptical eye. There's always comments being made of like, oh, my God, a producer totally made them go up to that person or like that's dubbed or you know that kind of thing so yeah I mean we've never really watched it in like a pure I haven't watched it in a quote-unquote pure way for quite some time the way in which the bachelorette is connected to the bachelor that the lead on the bachelorette had failed on the bachelor quite spectacularly (laughs) or did but are they always connected in this way like is the world of the bachelor and the bachelorette always this sort of self-contained oh my god Mark you have so much to learn yes the bachelor and the bachelorette have been pulling from the same sort of pool for many years, like since Jason Mesnick's season, which I want to say was 2008. And this was like a big turn because when the show started, it was all about like the first guy, Alex Michelle, was a Harvard Stanford graduate. He worked at like Boston Consulting Group. He was from like an affluent Connecticut suburb. He looked super great on paper and was the most quote unquote eligible bachelor. And every year was like a prince, a former football player, like guys that seemed desirable. And then slowly their ratings started to suffer because, I don't know, people just weren't that into these supposedly great dudes. And what saved the franchise really was when they recycled a guy from a bachelorette season who was the runner-up and didn't get chose this, like, single dad named Jason. And they decided, okay, let's make him the bachelorette. He's just a nice single dad from Seattle. And ever since, they've just been, like, 
It's always the runner-up or someone in the top five, except for last season, which was a spectacular failure. This guy, Ari, they pulled from like seven seasons ago. No one cared. But now tell me a little bit about uh, the current contestant, Becca, and what it is about her that's sort of specific. And I mean, what the connection is and why maybe for fans of The Bachelor or Bachelorette, she's an exciting contestant and this makes a lot of sense for the show. Well, I think we're still deciding whether or not she's an exciting contestant because, unfortunately, on the last season of The Bachelor, her narrative was very defined by the men. So her big thing was that she had an ex show up. He flew like halfway or across the world to say, don't be with Ari the Bachelor. You need to be with me. And she was like, no, dude, I'm like already in the finals. Peace out. So this guy traveled across the world. He gets rejected. Then she gets engaged to Ari, the final bachelor. And a few weeks after the show ends, Ari realizes, oh, he's having a change of heart. He still wants to be with the woman he chose as his runner up, Lauren. And he decided to tell Becca that in a very ungraceful manner by filming the breakup with her and the show aired it in this like raw quote-unquote unedited way which was incredibly uncomfortable to watch but a lot of people thought that was motivated to endear us to Becca because we had to watch her get dumped and totally rejected and we wanted her to find love as the bachelorette even that that sort of like very dramatic quote-unquote raw breakup has recently been problematized that The Bachelor has said it was edited and it's as always in Bachelor (laughs) world it's not as it was presented right. to be. Right. So Ari, this this weekend, uh, big GQ profile came out of him, which you have to know Ari is mad at the franchise because, like, I think he's still under contract, at least for a year, before they can't, like, book their own stuff. And he did a big GQ profile, so that raises eyebrows. But in it, this writer, like, spent two days with him and Lauren down in Arizona, and he says that he hates the show now, he feels 100% betrayed, that they completely edited that. They kept telling him to like prolong it and make it more awkward than it was. And Becca's already said, no, it it wasn't edited, but she has more incentive to like toe the party line, I think. And he is incentive to say it was edited because he looked like a douche. (laughs) And now even just already, so at this point, only the premiere episode of The Bachelorette has aired. And yet people already know much of what will happen on the season. Yeah. And I was so surprised in watching you and your friends watching the show how everybody was watching the show also had their phone in their hand and was looking stuff up and you guys were looking at the Instagrams and the you know social media feeds of all the contestants and this has in itself become a point of controversy now. Yeah. And is that a relatively new wrinkle to the franchise or is that sort of something that's been happening for a while? Well, there's this guy, you've even probably heard of him. His name is Reality Steve. He's infamous for spoiling the season. And not only does he spoil the season, he puts out all the contestants and who they are. He does some digging into their backstories and their careers and posts all their social media accounts. And so that makes it easy for hardcore fans to obsess over who the contestants are before the show even starts. And that's already led to a big problem for, in my opinion, for the show this season, because one of the guys who we met last name, his name is Garrett, who ostensibly seemed great, really cute, taught her how to fly fish in the bachelor mansion pool without fish. And it has been discovered through fan sleuthing, basically, that this guy liked some very hateful memes and tweets there was one where called someone was saying a Parkland survivor who went to Parkland was a crisis actor. There were ones about immigration, anti-immigration stances, implying that feminists are overweight, just like unsavory stuff. 
And he's already out there saying he was hacked. And if this guy goes far on the show, it's going to be really interesting to see not only how if ABC takes a stance about it, given that today they canceled Roseanne over her racist tweets. Do you do something when someone likes a racist tweet? It's like the social media of it all is so. And do they have a responsibility to vet not just what someone tweets, but the stuff they follow, the stuff they like? I mean, how deep do you go? Do the politics of the contestants, I mean, is that a conversation we might expect to see on the show, like on a date that they'll start talking about who did you vote for? I mean, and in the book, Allison Williams, so I interviewed some celebrity fans in the book, and she says, you know, she would love, I mean, of course, her dad is Brian Williams, so this is a big shocker there, but she would love to see people talk about the news, people talk about their, you know, something other than like, wasn't today so great? But like, that is the whole premise. In effect, a lot of why the show works is because it's so in a bubble. If you were to watch the news and even realize, like, oh, there's a storm in my hometown or, like, the Charlottesville riots are where I live or, like, you know, those are just way too big, you know, things to bring into a world where you're trying to just focus on love. A through line in the book is an idea that you have of could I do this? Like what would happen to you, Amy, if you went on the show? Tell me where kind of the idea for that came from as part of the book. And then in particular, I mean, I mentioned to you, my favorite section of the book is when you, a producer treats you like a contestant and gives you some idea of what being in the bubble is like. Right. And where did that kind of come from? And what did that change your thinking at all about the show? Well, I think the idea for it just came from, you know, everyone who watches the show. I think why it works is they sort of imagine themselves in that situation. I mean, even last night, Mark, when you were watching, I think a lot of my friends were asking you, like, well, would you wear that? And I was asking, oh, is Becca your type? Or, you know, like, because it's just about dating, it's on Survivor, you know, I don't know how to build uh, fire or would I last that long without food? But I can think like, oh, would that guy, I find him attractive. Or what would I say if I was trying to get him to like me? I know how to think about those things. So that's where that came from. And in the book, I was saying, you know, even if I were the type who could get cast on the show, I would still weirdly want to do it. It just seems appealing. But now, after months and months of thinking about all this, I just, I couldn't do it. Like, as you said, the producer mock sort of interrogating me. You cannot remain true to who you are. They break you. And even if you don't think you're broken, like the editing will misrepresent you. So I don't want to go through that. Why do people, especially now with so much being known about the show, why do people still go on the show knowing they could be portrayed any which way? Well, that's, I mean, especially not that like everyone should who's going on the show should read my book, but there's plenty of stuff out there about what it's like to go through this. And so my sympathy for people who are shocked that they don't come off the way they think on the show is way less than it used to be because there's plenty of seasons you can watch. There's plenty of interviews you can read with people who went through this and were not happy with the process. But everyone thinks it won't happen to them. They're just like, you know, there's upsides. I get to travel the world. I'm going to get like at least 50,000 new Instagram followers and potentially get a lucrative side business out of that. And then if I meet the love of my life, bonus. So... People are just warped in their thinking, though, because you're not even traveling the world. You're locked in a hotel room and your fame doesn't last that long. And it's really hard to go back to a nine to five after you've like been exposed to this little taste of the fab life. So, And now for you as a viewer of the show, what do you feel like you're looking for in contestants? Because I remember at one point last night someone said she's pretty, but she's not bachelorette pretty. And I feel like there's a mix of relatability and maybe 
unattainability you or You mean what am I looking for in the lead? Yeah, what like what do you like to see in that person like as a piece of casting? I mean the, my favorite bachelorettes specifically have been like so as a woman looking at the other women I like ones who are really outgoing kind of zany. This one Caitlin, she famously slept with a guy before the fantasy suite which is like very controversial but she was open about her quote-unquote flaws not that that's a flaw but that she had conflicting emotions and she wasn't just like I am here to find someone to put a ring she wasn't robotic I really liked that and I haven't seen so much of Becca's personality yet you know the first night's all about the zany dude so I'm not gonna lay down so much judgment but in terms of the bachelor yeah I do expect him to be pretty handsome. And if not handsome, because increasingly, as we're talking about, it's just like a software salesman who's a really nice guy and like believes in Jesus. And that's fine. But there's got to be something about him. that's better than the guy I'm meeting on Bumble, I feel like if you're on national television, right? Like, I don't know. That there was a, like at one point, again, there was a, someone said that a contestant is so hot and he would ruin my life. Yes. And that seemed to really be indicative of the responses from people overall to the guy. The, the, That's what I'm saying. Everyone guys. just views it through a lens of like, could I date that guy? Could I hook up with that guy? Like, it's just like a dating world unfold in front of your eyes, which is, I think, the fun part about it. And yeah, for, for us as women watching last night, it's much more fun to watch the guys out there, I think, than the women, because then I don't know why it feels worse to critique a female, all the women's looks, than it does to like, with the guy, I'm like, no, you know, what's wrong with his outfit? Like, his face is weird, <laughs> which is not fair to do to a guy or a girl, obviously. Well, it does seem like the program The Bachelor is the flagship of the franchise, yeah. but that The Bachelorette is like the fan fave. I don't know if that's true. I mean, ratings-wise, it, it does less well than The Bachelor, but I enjoy them both. Because it like seemed the... like everyone in the room, many people were saying they prefer The They bachel- did say that? They prefer The Bachelorette. Yeah, I think for women, it can be really fun to watch The Bachelorette. Could you relate to the men who would compete for a woman like that, or did it seem totally weird to you? I mean, the I, whole thing seemed weird too. No, I wouldn't say that. I just think like none of the men on that show are like men I would really know or like I, Mark Olson, would be right. friends with. Well, really. that's usually so how they're we just feel about the women too. Foreign to me as anything else, you know. Right. Usually there's kind of like one hipster dude that was missing this year. There were a lot more meatheady types, but yeah, for the women, there'll be like a lawyer who's really feminist. Like there's always one girl who you're like, I chill with her. Like she's not. I'm not gonna express my full judgment but sometimes people have professions and you know come to different parts of the country and that are dissimilar from people you know in your own life so that's it's also interesting to watch that and I think that's why we get so judgy because it seems like these people are like who's that guy who like brought a workout set or brought his own protein shakes like Mark Olson doesn't hang out with those guys and so it's easy to judge them but then you find yourself falling for him you find endearing things in all people the notion of is the show feminist and can you watch the show through a feminist lens? Yeah. Is I did not realize like a hot topic of conversation and such a frequent topic of conversation around the show. Yeah. Number one thing I've been asked. Well, tell me about that. Um, just everyone says, you know, like, how can you be a feminist and watch this? And is that because people want permission to watch the show? Yes, I think so. I mean, I don't think there's like a way to really rationalize it. Most people, like even feminist scholars I talked to were like, well, you can't view the world through 
a feminist lens every second of your day because you do so many things that are not feminist, like where you shop, like what you eat, like who you talk to. And a lot of people have been like, well, if you're watching it critically, then you're able to offer up those opinions, have a more holistic or like quote unquote healthy viewing experience. But I kind of fundamentally feel like if you're giving it ratings, then you're sort of part of the problem, even if you're on Twitter or blogging and saying, you know, you need to diversify the cast, you need to cast women who don't all look the same, whatever your issues are with it. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that it makes so many people feel bad more than so many other shows is also fascinating to me. Like, there's so many shows that are problematic. Why is this the one that people are like, I'm so sorry I watched The Bachelor? And now why do you why do you think that is? I've thought a lot about it. I'm like, obviously men don't feel bad about it. Or not spending as much like hand-wringing over watching football or something like that. But there are plenty of trashy reality shows. I think this one, because it's so about looks specifically and like women fighting with other women or men fighting with other men to be liked, it hits those buttons. And like I said, though, it's like just talking to your friends about dating. It's like getting to hear your friends' dating stories. Or the second, like you find out your ex is dating someone, what's the first thing a girl says? Like, she's gross. Or like, you know, you're better than him. It's like, it's all of these gossipy sort of unsavory things in ourselves that we see reflected on television. And really, yeah, I think we just need to come to grips with what some of our interests say about us in a way. But also the show does exist on a male-female Gender binary. Yeah, totally. It's a heteronormative show. Are those elements, like, especially thinking about where we are culturally right now, what does The Bachelor look like in a sort of post-Me Too, post-Time's Up era? Does the show somehow have to change, or will it always remain in this bubble? Yeah, I like, a lot of people have asked that, and I don't know that Me Too specifically has a connection to The Bachelor, because those were situations where there were non-consensual things going on. Even though we may not understand why all these people are showing up to compete for a dude or a woman, like, they're willingly doing that, so that's on them. And again, I think this is, like, it seems so out of step with the times that, like, you know, Becca gets there last night and Chris Harrison says to her, what's the optimal way this would end for you? And she's like, well, with a ring on my finger. Girlfriend, you just got engaged and dumped and you know that that process is not, quote unquote, sacred and doesn't really work. And yet that's still what she thinks she wants or maybe she really does want. So the societal tropes that we've been told since we were young are so much more powerful than a lot of us understand, I think, even though it's like, well, you don't have to get married and you can be. This theme song for this season is Independent Woman, which is so weird. Why is she an independent woman? I don't think it's true. I mean, I don't know. And I want to be sure to ask you a little bit just about the press tour that you've been on for your book. Being in a position of having to talk about the book for a couple of months, hearing other people talking to you about it, Has it changed your thinking either about the show or about the book in any way? Like, what has that process kind of been like for you? It's been interesting. You know, like, I, there's been so many questions about does it change the way I watch the show? And I almost feel, like, so removed from it, what I like about it, because watching it, as we were saying, isn't pure anymore. Like, I'm not, I feel like I have to watch it. It's, like, part of my duty now. And there's so many other thoughts that I'm having while I'm watching it about, like, is that problematic? And who will make it far? And, like, oh, I have to tweet something and let me follow everyone who could be tweeting about this. It's just not watching TV. So maybe I'm not, I don't know, like, the person who just watched it on Monday night because it gave her a kick is long gone. So it's kind of sad, honestly. (laughs) But now having been on the receiving end of questions about your work— 
Do you feel any newfound sympathy for interview subjects when you are yourself now going out to interview people and it's some actor who's like on the press grind? Are you approaching people differently? Do you have any new sympathy or understanding for the other side of this dynamic? Yeah, I mean, listen, I have no, I hardly went through a movie press junket, but I did a radio thing one day where a radio quote unquote junket where I had to do like 30 interviews that were all like five minutes and they just patch you into a radio station. And I was like, this is terrible. I didn't like this is not fun. And it's interesting. I was trying to think like, well, why did I respond to certain people when I met them or talk to them on the phone? You know, what made me like them? And what would make someone like me in an interview? And a lot of times I feel like it just had to do with my mood, which is sad because. Like they didn't matter? Yeah. What if someone just meets us as reporters on a good day or a bad day? They don't care. I do think it really makes a difference if they don't have a ton of other press. So we should press harder to get that like non-junket day because then they're fresh. I'm turning the tables here, though, Mark. What was your first viewing experience? Was the show as ridiculous as you expected it to be or did you enjoy it more than you thought? I found myself drawn into it much more than I expected to be. I guess the way I'm going to answer that question is by saying, I have not yet decided if I want to watch next next week. Oh, there's like, like a possibility you might? I Because now it's like, well, what does happen to those? What does happen to the fashion Mark model guy? Like, right. So the season teaser at the end of the first episode is a highlight for my friends and I. We, we demand silence because it super teases the whole season. And if you're trying to guess who gets far, that's when you analyze it because they do sneak peeks of people. And Mark was like, oh, my God, I could tell you got sucked in by that because it's very dramatic. That kind of edit stuff, like show ambulances. There was they crying. Make, right. And you're like, I have to watch this. And I, I saw it happening. I was like, oh, Mark might soon be a member. Well, I noticed from I, both in the sort of like the fan recollections that you have in your book, the celebrity testimonials, and from talking to a few people last night, most people will say, I did not want to start watching this show or I hated the show at first and then kind of got drawn in. It does seem like yeah. there's this bizarre, I don't know what the science term would be, but it, like the, people are not, they think they don't want to watch it and then they're watching. Well, because I'm sure you, as someone who doesn't watch it, you notice on Monday, like a lot of people you know and respect suddenly are tweeting about The Bachelorette and a lot of people who I interviewed in books said the same thing. They were like, well, if all my friends who are really cool like this, there must be something of value in it. And I think that then people are just like, well, let's try it. And then five years later. Someone recently said to me, if you're interested in storytelling, you have to watch The Bachelor. Oh, who really? Why do you think that? What does that mean? Just that because the sh- I think the shape of it. Like how it's crafted. The fact that it's, there's so much drama. Like you just see the, the stories like laid out right there. Hmm. I like that. Mark, do you want Becca to get engaged at the end of this? Do you think that she could possibly find a soulmate? Or is that process just flawed? I mean, me personally, I don't understand how humans enter into this machine and come out the other end with like an actual sort of like emotional experience as to more just like trauma and sort of like I've been through this thing. So the idea that like they find love on the show, that does seem a little implausible to me. Well, right. But I can understand them wanting to do that or feeling like that, well, we came here with this goal, so we just, we want to achieve our goal, so that that's where you got to kind of end up. But I feel like, in particular, given the dynamics of what happened to her last season and how she's kind of entering to this season, like, it does seem like the, it's almost like the best finale for the show is yeah. going to be her 
walking down the driveway by herself, like leaving this mansion behind or like just setting the mansion on fire. She's like a dog with a bone. She's not letting that engagement idea Well, no, I think like the, to me, the true ending is going to be her realizing she doesn't need this. She's never going to do that. That is optimistic. But yeah, you will see. It's My friends and I divide. We call each other the first or the second half of the seasoners because if you like the first half, that means you're into like the over-the-top characters, the shtick of it all. And the second half, like, you'd be surprised. It gets really sincere. You're suddenly like, oh, my God, like, do I believe that these people have a connection? And that's the part I like because I'm a sappy loser. So I would love to see you secretly get invested in a couple. But now I know we're not supposed to say, let's do the damn thing, which was her catchphrase. If we we were deciding if we should drink every time she said that, I'm glad people didn't because they would have been hammered. But now, is it okay? And I know I'm like picking up a meme like six years too late. But this idea of the right reasons, are you doing this for the right reasons? Yeah. Is that okay to pick up as a catchphrase? I mean, sure, you just won't be hip. <laughs> like that was ever a concern. <laughs> When are you going to say this? Like, you're just going to say this in casual convo? But just, I think, as a as an instructive, am I doing this for the right reasons? It's. I think it, it applies more than you might think. Oh, it certainly does. I mean, the it's a very ephemeral concept, though. Like, what are the right reasons in life, right? Because then also then you ask the question, well, what are the wrong reasons? And with that, for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Amy, tell people where they can find you on the internet so they can follow more of your Bachelorette-related content. Yes, you can find me at Amy K in LA, and on Monday nights, beware, it's going to be a lot of Batch content. And I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>